A reading from the book of Moses, Genesis 25, verses 19 through 34, in the New American Standard Bible. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her room. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when he, she gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please, let me have some of that red stuff there, for I'm famished. <laughs> Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die, so of what use, then, is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112 in the New American Standard Bible. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and I will conform it, that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I'm exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Oh, accept the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. A reading from the prophet Isaiah Chapter 55, verses 10 through 13 in the New American Standard Bible. 
For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing that what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And the mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. And instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. A reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 65, verses 1 through 13, in the New American Standard Bible. There will be silence before you, and praise in Zion, O God, and to you the vow will be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all men come. Iniquities prevail against me, as for our transgressions, you forgive them. How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea, who establishes the mountains by his strength, being girded with might, who stills the warring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They who dwell in the ends of the earth stand in awe of your signs. You make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. You visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare their grain, for thus you prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its growth. You have crowned the year with your bounty, and your paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip, and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks, and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. A reading from Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, in the New American Standard Bible. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it is through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. 
because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 and verses 18 through 23 in the New American Standard Bible. That day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell by the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out, and others fell on the good soil and yielding a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what he, what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom the seed was sown beside the road. The one whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. This is the word of the Lord. So, Stephen is enjoying the sun in the beach and, and uh, left us to unfortunately have to hear from me instead of him. Uh, but I'm excited about this. this is, it's been a great thing to have this um, midweek meeting. And I, I've seen the fruit in following along these scriptures week to week. Um, before I get started, I just wanted to say that. I wanted to say um, it, it's great to be in a, a constant 
ebb and flow of God's word with direction um, instead of just trying to flip to random spots and or pick out certain verses that you think uh, make you feel good in the moment. Encountering scripture in this way has been really great in the fact that it, it forces us to encounter scripture and see that there is unity in it and there is purpose in it. Um, I'll, I'll start with a, a brief introduction or outline, but first I'd like to start with prayer, so if you'd pray with me. Lord, uh, you are so great to us. You are the you are the planter who plants the seed. You're the farmer who who tends it. You're the one who brings the rain and waters it. The one who lifts the sun every morning to cause growth and You're the one who who sends laborers into the field for the harvest. You're so good to us, God. You've given us bread that is eternal and life-giving. You have given us good bread, a bread that is better than than that of man. You've given us manna from heaven, Lord, and, and you are our sustainer. Lord, and in that spirit, I pray that tonight um, my words would not be my own, but ones that are sustained and, and, and come from you, Lord. I pray that as hearers of people who hear this, uh, don't try and hear it in their own strivings or in their own paradigms, Lord, but in, in your righteous truth, and they see your word, uh, and not my own. We ask for all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, if I, I should have gave this one a clever title. I guess if I um, did, I'd say say something like, uh, who's hungry or something like that, because it just seems like there's a bunch of food in all these scriptures. Uh, but it's, I think, even the fact that we start with Genesis, it, it really gives a good basis for the beginning of, of what a, the themes that I saw in all of these scriptures and how well they're tied together. So if we first uh, are looking at Genesis 25, 19 through 34, this is the first we really see of, of Isaac's doings, right? Um, a lot of, a lot of uh, Genesis so far has been around Abraham and, and his leadings and, and, and the works that he did. Uh, but now we're, we're seeing Isaac and how he's interacting with God and, and things and how he's leading his family. And I love the first thing that we see is that it seems that Isaac got a little bit of knowledge from his father. And when he saw that his wife was barren, he, uh, he didn't despair. He went to the Lord and not to his own strength like Abraham had originally. And he sought the Lord. And the Lord blessed him. The Lord gave him children. He actually gave him a double portion, which is awesome. But these two children, it's, it's a very similar thing to what we see with uh, 
Ishmael and Isaac themselves, you know, these this pattern keeps showing up in Genesis of these two people groups, right? Where, where further in Scripture you actually see that, that it says that God loved Jacob and he hated Esau. So there's clearly, God sees a distinction between two people. Um, the God who creates created the heavens and the earth, the one that determines our comings and goings, and the one who plants and causes growth, the, the author and perfecter of our faith, he sees the difference between two people. And I think it says right off the bat what the difference between Esau and Jacob were. You know, Esau is depicted as this really hairy hunter, right? And I think the first thing that comes to mind when I'm trying to picture Esau in my, in my head, which is a great practice, by the way, if you're reading scripture and you think it's boring, you're, you don't have much of an imagination. So it, it's really helpful to try and imagine these things in scripture. And, and when I'm imagining Esau, I'm imagining a man that's almost a beast, right? You know, he's like a wolf himself, right? He's hairy and he hunts. That's what he does. He brings back meat. He's this, this, uh, I guess the best way I, I have it written down here on, on the paper, he's carnal, right? Just like a, a beast is they, they rely on their instincts and how they're feeling in the moment. Um, you know, it's really funny that, uh, like, I don't know if any of you have seen, like, Tiger King or anything like this. The reason they can go into, <laughs> it's ridiculous, but the reason someone can own a tiger with relative safety, I wouldn't go out and buy a tiger and try and keep it in my backyard or anything, but the reason that they can kind of live in relative safety is they keep them fed, right? They're feeding their hunger so that they don't get hungry and try and eat their owners. But the second that their, their feelings, their flesh rises up, they, they try and satisfy their hungers at every chance they get, is what a, a beast does. That's the real difference between uh, a human and, and creatures. I think humans are the only pe only animal that voluntarily fasts or goes on diets i've never heard of an animal a beast that went on that's ve like vegan on purpose <laughs> okay there there's no life journeys for for beasts they're they do what they were created to do and that's you know they don't go on diets they don't they don't do fast they they fulfill every urge and instinct they have and that's Esau he literally is like I'm dying of hunger let me give up my birthright this guy is not dying of hunger I guarantee it he's being dramatic okay he's a really good hunter if he was that hungry he would go out and hunt and get some more food he was just lazy he was he got hungry and like a child, when they say that they're starving, even though they just had a snack, he gave in to his, his carnal flesh. 
And so that we see this first people group, this fleshly, I'm going to give in to every whim and desire people group. And so Jacob, who has food, gives it to him. Um, and right now, the first thing that comes to mind is that Esau was, was hungry for earthly food more so than he was hungry for, for his birthright. Hungry for uh, the inheritance he would get from his father, the promises of God. And we'll see more, more that this, this promise from God is that we would receive bread, uh, the bread of life, which is the one that the Father has sent, which is Christ. And you can see those in John 6 or Exodus 16 with the manna from heaven. Uh, Jesus says he's that manna. He's, he's the bread of life, and he's the inheritance. And, and Esau, I guarantee if he was alive during Jesus' time, he would have looked at Christ and said, I'd rather have my own life than Christ." I think that's more important. You know, Esau probably thought that would be more important to himself. So we're going to see more of those themes, the, the people groups and, and this carnal flesh and the, the immediate food here on earth or the manna from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, the, the words from God and, as opposed to our flesh. What, what is spirit? What is from the Lord? And what is, what is fleshly and from the earth? So Psalm 119, uh, we see a couple great themes. That One is that comfort comes from God's words. Um, I think we overlook that a lot of times, and, and oftentimes when, when people tell me they're anxious or uh, struggling with this or that, the first thing I tell them is like, have you read God's word? <laughs> have you reminded yourself of the promises God's given you? Because even, you know, I do the same thing. I struggle with that all the time where I forget what God said, and the second that I start to read his word, I'm reminded of what his promises were and are. And that brings me comfort. You know, Scripture says, you know, God said, I am he who comforts you. Right? Who are you that to be afraid of, of man that is made like grass? He's saying that I'm the eternal one. I'm the only one that can bring you comfort because I'm the only one that's going to be here at the end of time. Like, Flesh and blood is like perishes. Men don't last. I still have not met a man who like has figured out how to live forever. <laughs> right? Only Christ. So that's a lot, that's really comforting. But then you see, so you see this God's word, you know, is also his law. His statutes, um, there's lots of words used for it in Psalm 119 and, and the rest of these scriptures uh, of what God's words are, um, but the wicked don't like God's word, okay? They forsake God's law. They, they hate it. Esau saw God's words, his promises, his inheritance, and he said, like, lentil soup is better. I think a really funny thing was uh, like right at the beginning of quarantine when everyone was kind of like panicking a little bit, 
uh, and like buying up all the groceries and toilet paper and stuff. Me and Cristiano went to uh, Costco and we we're looking for pasta. The only thing left was this like lentil spaghetti. And I was like, well, there's no other pasta. Let's just get this. And she's like, no, that's disgusting. And I was like, but it, it's better than nothing. So we, we ended up getting it, and it's still sitting in our pantry and probably will be until the end of time because lentils, lentils not good. <laughs> and it's, it's not good enough to, like, give – I don't care if it's a five-course – or a five-star, like, you know, super good meal or whatever it is. I don't care if it's Twinkies. Like, it's not good enough to sell your birthright for. Not one that promises you so much. And you know that Esau had to have known this. Isaac learned some things from his father. And I'm sure Isaac was, was telling his sons about what Abraham was told. In fact, Abraham was still alive during this. He was probably telling them what God had told him. They had seen miracles. And Esau didn't get it. He was like, I, whatever you say, old man, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to eat this lentil soup. Like, it's not that important. But they also, because they hate God's law, they, they hate those who love God's law. They deride them. I looked up deride because I didn't know what it meant. Uh, it's ridicule. Right? It's like making fun of people for liking God's word. I'm sure Esau in the moment was like, okay, Jacob, like, yeah, I'll give you the birthright. Uh, I'm, he definitely thought he was getting the better deal. Like, I don't know if you guys know much about um, early history of the Americas, but when, when the Americans were first coming and they were interacting with the Native Americans, you know, the, the Europeans were coming into America, they were interacting with the Native Americans, they would sell them beads and things for rights to property, and the Native Americans were like, okay, sure. They were like... They didn't get the idea of what they were doing when they were selling their property because they had in their brain, like, it's not real. Like, the property, like, land is everyone's and everyone's is the land and we're actually getting something real and you're getting something fake, which is property ownership. And so they sold it for beads. They sold land for beads. And they were like Esau, selling their birthright. They didn't, Esau didn't know what he was giving up because he didn't love God's word. He didn't know God's word. So Isaiah uh, 55 and Psalm 65, I'm going to kind of wrap, wrap up together, and you guys can read all the notes uh, if you want, but they're very similar in the fact that it, it's stressing this God's reign. It's equating God's reign, like the reign that God brings and God's word. Meaning that, like, God's words are, like, life-giving. It causes fruit to grow. Um, it causes land to come alive. So we're getting this very clear picture of, of the fruit that it's from God. 
Like anything good you could want is from God, and it's in his words. It's accomplished by his words, right? Even at creation, it was God said, and then there was. Okay, so if you don't like God's words, you know, you're missing out on the good things that God, that comes along with that. You know, it even it even equates this fruit, uh, this this bread and fruit to like the fruits of the spirit, like peace and joy, right? Like, if you want peace and joy, you've got to love God's words. Like, you can't have peace and joy without reading the Bible once in a while, without living in the in God's word, loving what He's saying, His commandments, right? Like, you're not going to be at peace if you're going around breaking the commandments all the time. If you're committing adultery, you're never going to be living in peace. If you're always killing people in your heart, you're never going to be living in peace. You're never going to have joy. So if you're depressed or downcast, or anxious, or fearful, or just sad, or whatever it is, you know, the, the times where I'm having a sad day, by the grace of God, he reminds me, he's like, oh, do you recall my word? Are you living in my word? Are you living out my commandments? And oftentimes when I am sad, that's, that's what's wrong. It's I'm not not depending on God's words to bring me fruit and bread. One point I do want to bring out is, is he's saying that uh, these people that, like this, this what God causes to grow, um, he raises up this memorial tree, which is really cool, as a, a reminder of like what he's doing. And I love it because he, it literally says that it will never be cut off. Um, and if you know Scripture, Matthew 3, 9 through 10 came to mind, and he's talking to, to the Pharisees, and he's like, those who don't bear fruit will be cut off. Again, there's these two people group, the people who don't bear fruit, who live in the flesh, who, like, if you're not depending on God for water, you're trying to water yourself, you're trying to uh, stay in the soil that you fell in, like where, you know, if you're trying to cause your own growth or whatever it is, if you don't rely on God, um, you're not going to bear fruit and you're going to be cut off by God. But those who do rely on God, there's life. They're, they become this, this great tree that will never be cut off. That's a great promise. Like God's church will never be cut off. It will never be defeated. There will always be fruit from God's church. That's so cool. And another thing I want to point out in Psalm 65 is like, this is a, an occasion for joy. Like, if you don't see God's word and the fruit that he's bearing, if you don't see the church and, like, 
the fruit that God's bringing through it, like that lives are being changed and there's so much peace and joy for people who have been tormented their whole lives. Like, if you see that and don't become joyful, I don't know, you're crazy or something. You're probably like Esau. You'll probably feel like you're starving and you'd rather get some, like, go get yourself some lentils or something. I don't know, but like, you should, that should bring you so much joy. You know, I, it's, it's frustrating to me to see people want things from God, like, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit or something, or to see miracles or whatever it is, or like good character, and they're like downcast all the time. It's like, the good things of God shouldn't make you sad. Like, you should be joyful about them. Like, even if you haven't received all of them yet, you should still be like joyful that like it's happening. You shouldn't be like upset, like, oh God, like you're making me more patient. This sucks. Like, be like, you're making more patient, like more patient. That's awesome. Like, thank you for these trials and tribulations, the suffering and sorrow. This is great. You're bringing fruit in my life. You're giving me heavenly food, not just earthly food. And and you can see that spelled out in Romans. I, I love that you know we're we're seeing Romans. Um, it's such a clear like step by step progression of the gospel. I think we we struggle with this a lot. This this performance based thinking um, is clearly talked about in Romans eight. You know it, it talks about the law being weak through the flesh. So there's this clear idea of the people who live in flesh and the people who live in the spirit, the people who have their mind set on flesh and people who have their mind set on the spirit. And it tells us clearly what happens to them. So if your mind sets on the flesh, it says that's death. That does not sound good. That's like actual starvation. Like if you die, you'll probably starve. <laughs> or if you're actually starving you'll you'll die. But if your mind's set on spirit there's life, there's peace, there's joy, there's these good things. It's the opposite. So if you if you put the the spiritual th- like I think the best way to explain it is, is, is that the flesh is very much me-centered, okay, right? Uh, your body is your own. It's, it, like, it's not Christ's body, okay? It's not, like, John Luke's pinky finger isn't Kyle's, okay? It's his, <laughs> Right? It's very, so if he's concerned with his own self, his own hunger, his own uh, ways of fulfilling the law, he's thinking and concerned about himself. If you try and do the law in your flesh, you, you are self centered. But if you try and do it through the Spirit, you are Christ centered. Okay, you know that you're relying on something else. 
right? The, the thing about the whole manna from heaven, the, the bread of life, when, when we go on to, to read, uh, like if you're reading in, in John 6, 22 through 58, like you're reading about these Pharisees who are like trying to get to heaven on their own. They're trying to conjure up their own food. Um, they're not relying on the real manna from heaven. What's happening with the manna from heaven is, is like there's this, this provision that said that you could only store up what you needed for that day. Because if you tried to store up more, that means you weren't trusting God that he would bring you manna tomorrow. Every time us as Christians, you know, we rely on God for salvation, but then we try and live out the rest of our Christian life through good works and our own striving, saying, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got I to gotta stop sinning, um, but you don't rely on Christ's blood for that, you're not trusting that he's, he can do it. You're trying to conjure up your own bread. You're trying to get your own lentil soup. You're trying to rob God of his glory is what's happening. And so that leads to, like I said, one, the first thing is this, it leads to when you try and do the law through your own flesh, it leads to performance-based thinking or Pharisaism, right? This, this idea of performance-based, like, I can live out the law under my own strength. But then it also you see in Romans 8 that you will fail. You will not live up to God's standard under your own strength. You know, the Pharisees only were able to remain in performance-based thinking because they made up their own standards. They threw God, they threw away God's standards. But if you're really trying to live up to God's standards, you will fail. And that leads to licentiousness, which is apathy. You stop caring about God's law and his standards because you'll never fulfill it. You say, those are way too high a standard. You're like the rich young ruler, like that's too great of a price. It's like, see, I've lived up to my standard. And then Christ's like, ah, got a higher one for you. And he's like, that's too much, I'm out. I'm never going to try it because I know I'm going to lose the second I start. It's quitting the race before it even gets started. But the thing is, is the only way you would ever finish the race and is by relying on God. And that's just the way he likes it. He's God. He, of course, is the only way you can live up to God's standard is by God's help. You know... I never want to start a project for Greg without having clear instructions from him because I know he's particular about his standards. And so, like, if I want to live up to his standards, I need to know his standards, right? Which means I need his help. I need him showing me and guiding me. Right? So... Why do we not want to rely on God? 
why don't we think he has what it takes to to pull us through? I don't. So then you get to Matthew 13, and I, I see uh, the best way to read Matthew 13 is if you read all of it, because there's a lot of parables, not just this one in there, and they all speak to each other. The main thing I got from this is that, you know, I'm not going to try and explain to you what the different seeds mean, because the scripture tells you that automatically. But what I will tell you is that the fault in the first three seeds is that the word of God wasn't treasured up. The seed wasn't treasured. It was thought lightly of. If, you're, if the word is easily picked away, it's because you, weren't, you didn't treasure it in your heart enough to hold it tightly. Like if someone can come by and, and just like make you forget of something that the word of God says, it's because you didn't set it in your mind. You didn't memorize it. You didn't care enough about it to treasure it. Or if the second persecution comes, you give it up. It's because it didn't root itself deep enough in your heart that you're like, I'm going to believe this even when it looks like it's, it's not true or something. Or like there, the consequences are really high. I'm still going to follow it because I, it's so deeply rooted in me. Or when it's choked out by, by the evil one, by life. Like if you treasure God's word, work will never get in the way of God's work. But what causes us to treasure God's word? God, right? So in conclusion, like you can see the, these main themes is that there's the flesh, fleshly man-centered life that's against God and leads to death. And then there's the Christ-centered, spirit-filled man, the one that relies, relies on the bread of life, and their life is full of peace and joy. But overall, um, I think it's very important to get the idea that it's God who plants. It's, it's God who's in charge of watering. It's God who, who sends the word out and causes it to, to accomplish its goal. It's not us. It's not our own strivings. We can't force God to, to do anything. Uh, so I guess let's get our worship team up here and worship. <laughs>